Welcome to the Revenue Builders Podcast, a weekly show featuring B2B sales leaders and executives. Hosted by five-time CRO John McMahon and force management co-founder John Kaplan, the show goes behind the scenes with the people who have been there, done that, and seen the results. If you enjoy our content, please subscribe, rate, and review the show to help us reach more people. Revenue Builders is brought to you by Force Management. We help companies improve sales performance, executing the growth strategy at the point of sale. Find us at forcemanagement.com. Enjoy today's episode. Hello and welcome to the Revenue Builders podcast. I'm John Kaplan here with five-time CRO and author of the wildly successful book, The Qualified Sales Leader, John McBann. Johnny, how are you? Cap, I'm doing good. How you doing? I'm doing good, buddy. I'm doing good. I'm uh <clears throat> I'm really, really excited to uh to uh speak to our guest today. So I'm gonna just jump into a little intro here. Um, J.R. Butler is CEO and founder of Shift Group, uh, a super unique and compelling talent acquisition and development company. Prior to starting Shift, JR was chief revenue officer at is it Pillar? Pillar, yeah. At Pillar, a low-code platform company based in Chandler, Arizona. He built a successful partnership with AWS, achieving the top status as an ISV partner and the number one ISV in terms of new logos for AWS's SAP on AWS team in 2020. He built a scalable and repeatable sales process for the early stage company being chosen as one of CRN's top channel chiefs in 2021. And prior to Pillar, JR was an early employee at Turbonomic, where he helped grow the company from 200 to 3,000 customers and from less than 50 employees to 650 employees. During that time, JR held positions as area and regional vice president in commercial, enterprise, and global accounts. He also held um, a head of... Uh, strategy uh, and operation for the enterprise sales organization where he spearheaded successful OEMs with Cisco and AppDynamics and helped scale to go to market partnerships with uh, AWS and Microsoft. Turbonomic was required for by IBM for a whopping $2 billion. And prior to Turbonomic, JR spent several years as an IT infrastructure reseller in the greater Boston area he attended the college. Uh, he attended uh, the College of the Holy Cross. Johnny, that is in Worcester, Massachusetts, not Worcester, Worcester, <laughs> Massachusetts. I know how to pronunciate it. He knows. He knows how to pronounce it. There's a little inside joke there coming to a podcast uh, uh, near you in the uh, future. Or Rachel, I don't know if that's going to play before or after this, but I got embarrassed. Jr. I have family in Worcester. Uh, I had you know, my uncle uh, actually was head of the R ROTC back in the day and lived in Worcester. And I actually on a podcast, I said Worcester. So it's Ooh. horrific. It's horrific. Uh, so so sorry. Jr. played hockey for the 2006 uh, Holy Cross team that actually upset the top seeded Minnesota Gophers in a Midwest regional. Johnny, say hello to our friend Jr. Butler. Jr., how are you today? Good to see you again. Great to see you guys. Excited for the conversation. Yeah. So, JR, um, I first met you back in the day, uh, I think at the Turbonomics days, and you just had a killer career in technology sales. And then you got the bug 
to go do your own thing. So I think that's a good place for us to kind of start off here. Um, let's talk about the impetus for starting um, the shift group. Um, it, every great company starts with a great problem to solve and bringing value to people. So tell us why you started the shift group. Um, it's I, I always tell people I started shift group for two versions of myself, Cap. Um, the first was when I, when I retired from hockey, um, you know, I spent from three years old to 23 years old and I woke up and went to bed with the same exact thing on my mind, which is how can I play division one and professional hockey? Every, every minute I spent for 20 years straight was focused on that goal. Right. Um, and then one morning you wake up and it's over, like it's just gone. Um, and hockey players, especially we, we really tie our identity and personality to being hockey players. Um, and I struggled, like I really, really struggled through the transition. You know, it's, it's like a dark night of the soul situation. Um, and I, and I was fortunate. I tripped and fell into sales. Um, and, and I loved it like right away, but you know, I have, a, I have a lot of friends and family that, that are struggling with that transition now. And that's like the number one reason I started it was like really getting in front of athletes when they're going through that moment in their life where they have an identity crisis and showing them they don't have to, they don't need to change who they are. They just need to apply it to something else. Um, and then the second thing you talked about some of my sales leadership roles, like I've been in charge of hiring and training great salespeople for basically the last 10 years of my career. And we, I had a lot of success hiring attitude over aptitude and looking for the intangible characteristics that would lead to a long career of, of, of sales success. And I know that, you know, we work with people that have those things. So being able to refocus their, their, their identity to this and show them some of the foundational stuff that matters means that we get to help a lot of companies hire great future sales leaders. And that's, that's the second reason I started it because we struggled with attrition. We struggled with productivity. We struggled with ramp time. So I get to help athletes like me that are transitioning and sales leaders like me that are trying to build kick-ass sales teams. It's perfect. We're going to hey, go. And, so, yeah. So we're gonna, let's go. Let's go back to your hockey. Go to uh, hockey, Johnny. Go to hockey. Yeah. Go to your hockey background before we jump more into, um, you know, what you do for, like you said, people like yourself. So you actually, you have a brother, Bobby, who I'm familiar with that played in the NHL, right? He He's played for... A number of teams. I think he played for the Ottawa Senators, New Jersey Devils, Nashville Predators, and even the Florida Panthers, right? And yep. actually, I think he's still playing, right? He plays in the ECHL right now, right? Yeah, yeah. He plays for the Worcester Railers. He's the captain at, at 35 years old, still skating. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, he's a very good player. And then you played your dad. Well, let's go back. Your dad was a longtime coach for Marlboro High School, right? Yeah, if you, if you Google Rink Rat, uh, there's probably a picture of me and my brothers that pops up. We grew we grew up in hockey rinks our entire life. Yeah, I'm pretty familiar with some of the rinks you played in because <laughs> I spend too much time in those same rinks, but not playing, you know, watching. And then you, well, so you actually were coached by your father for a couple of years before you went off to one of the prep schools, I think it was Cushing Academy. Is that correct? Yeah. I, uh, you know, I, I was at Marlboro high for a couple of years and then I got an opportunity to go play at Cushing, which, you know, at the time 
you know, lots changed in the hockey landscape, but at the time it was the best high school team in the country. Right. Um, and I got to play for coach Jacobs and they put more guys in the NHL than, than any school in the country. So huge opportunity for me to kind of go from a big fish in a small pond to a little fish in a big pond, but it was a, it was an awesome experience. One of the best I've ever had. What was the amazing thing? I think if we go back to Bobby is he's one of the few, if maybe the only uh, player that played in public high schools and made it to the NHL without going to one of the prep schools. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Bob, Bob was, so I'm the oldest of, of three boys, uh, John and Bob was very naturally gifted from the jump. Right. And we also, we got a great foundation from my dad, right. He preached multiple sports, you know, but he also preached like the idea of professionalism and like having, having being great in your bones. So like the combination of my brother's talent and the foundation for my father, I think, you know, put him on the map and the Olympics, the NHL, all that stuff. But it also took me and my other brother who were, were very average players our whole lives. And and we got to kind of, you know, be over our skis when it came to like playing at the college level. It's, it's, it's something that I really pride myself on. Cause if you talk to anybody that knew me when I was 16 and told them I was going to play division one hockey, they would have laughed in your face. So that's, <laughs> I, I attribute that all to my father. Yeah. So let's go back to that athletic experience and that of your family. And let's talk to our audience a little bit about what if you think back as an individual and then a teammate and then leadership, let's pick one thing that you think stands out in your mind from that time. So what was the number one individual learning that you had? I think um, you, my dad has a saying, he says, plant tomatoes, get tomatoes. Um, and what he means by that is like, you know, sports, hockey specifically is, is a meritocracy. Like nobody really cares you know, what your parents accomplished, what you did, where you're from. It's like, how hard are you willing to work to get better every single day? Um, and, and that's what you're going to get rewarded for. So I think individually, like, you know, I, I shot 500 bucks a day from like five years old to 23 years old. I stick handled for 30 minutes every day. I used to do a thousand pushups, a thousand sit-ups and a thousand air squats every single day for, you know, 15 plus years. And it paid off. And I think that is like, that's inherent in like my upbringing of like, nobody cares. Like John's the like cap says, nobody cares, work harder. That's probably my <laughs> biggest takeaway from my individual accomplishment as a hockey player. Now let's talk about team now. What's your number one learning from being a teammate? Um, not to sound corny, but like teamwork makes the dream work, right? Like, you know, I look back, I had a fortunate opportunity. I played for unbelievable teams like Marlboro High. We went to the state finals, Cushing Academy. We went to the New England prep school finals. And then obviously Holy Cross, we beat a Minnesota team with, with seven future NHLers um, and a couple candidly, probably Hall of Famers like Phil Kessel. Um, when I think back to every team I've ever played for, that was great. Everybody in that locker room played for each other. And that was it. Like full stop. It was like, you know, the old Patriots saying, do your job. You did your job because you knew the guy next to you was going to do your job, do their job. Um, and every great team I ever played for, it, it the the locker room, like how you spent your time off the ice was mm -hmm. so enjoyable 
because you you really cared about the people next to you. Like you really gave a crap. And I think that's any great team in any organization in any you know vertical it could be business or sports. They all share that that characteristic in common where there's accountability to each other. And that's something that I look for now that I'm building my own company. We talk a lot about that. That's so important. That was my biggest lesson on being a great teammate. Well, that's the one thing you see in hockey is you have to have your teammates back. I mean, for a couple of reasons. One, you're hopping on and off the ice every 45 seconds. And if you're not taking care of your teammates while you're out there, it's going to be pretty hard to be a team, number one, and pretty hard also to look at your fellow teammates when you get back to that locker room. Because like you said, a lot of it happens in the locker room. So let's talk about the number one learning on leadership, JR. What'd you learn there? My dad, uh, like I said, he's he's in the Massachusetts Hockey Hall of Fame for coaching. He he picks up the pucks at the end of practice, right? Like that I, that sounds like a weird analogy, but like that's what I see as great leadership is like you're you're not just telling people what to do, you're showing them what to do, mm-hmm. right? And and you're not afraid to do what you're asking your team to do. I took that as a, I took that to heart as a leader on teams, but also in sales, right? Like I, I, I think you talk to anybody who ever worked for me and they would tell you like, JR doesn't just, you know, talk the talk. He walks the walk. He's willing to pick up the pucks at the end of practice. Um, that's like, that's to me, that's what true leadership is. Whether you're a coach, a captain or a, a, a VP of sales. Yeah, that comes from hockey also, willing to go into the dirty areas, willing to do the dirty things, right? The thing, yeah. the little things that really pay off. I think now Cap wants to talk to you a little bit about how, you know, some of those learnings have translated into maybe some of the candidates that you're hiring. Yeah, before I do that, though, I, I want to, um, you guys just got me jonesing for this <laughs> hockey memory that I have. And you're going to have to help me because I'm a football guy, but I remember the there was an unbelievable documentary on the guy that came to the United States, wound up playing for the, um, for the Red Wings. And he was from Russia and he Mm -hmm. played for this world famous coach and the Russians, the Eastern Europeans, Scotty Bowman, Scotty Bowman, I think, right? No, no, that's That's a coach, coach. right? Yeah. No, but I'm talking about this guy was a Russian coach and he wound up going Russian coach. Yeah. They did him. They did him wrong. Uh, but but the point was the world looked at hockey and they looked at these Eastern Europeans and they said, they're soft, you know, they don't fight, they don't, but they were, they all had this philosophy. There was this Russian coach, Jr., uh, an original guy. And he, he saw hockey as like a ballet and every, every movement. And, and you could tell by the way they played like the Europeans, especially the Russians at the time, they played as it, like a symbiotic. It was amazing. They showed film of it. Do you know who I'm talking about? Do you know how that coach is? Anatoly. Anatoly. That's it. Yeah. That's it. He's called the father of Russian ice hockey. Yep. If you get a chance, I don't know what that documentary was, but it was so fascinating because the Americans were taking as kind of an individualistic sport where you put, you know, however many guys on the ice and they all have their individual characteristics. They're strong, they're fast, they can do stuff. And then when they played against these ballerina dudes, you know, they'd get whipped because everybody knew they were doing stuff with passes. Like they just leave it on the ice and a guy would come right behind them and, and pick it up. And when the, those worlds merged, the common, you know, today's hockey is really a combination of the two. 
So that that's an awesome leadership documentary. Okay, so let's talk now about. So thanks for indulging me on that. Let's talk. <laughs> let's talk a little bit about. Oh, good cap. I didn't know you knew that stuff. Oh, it was Johnny. It's a great documentary. We'll have to put it in the show notes. I'll find it. We'll put it in the show notes. Okay. So now we're talking about the profile, the candidate profile for you are former athletes and military. Could you kind of tell us a little bit why this profile? Um, and then I want to dig into more about, you know, you know, what makes it great about the profile for transitioning into sales and what makes it difficult? Because there's pros and cons. Could you speak so I, to it a little bit? Yeah. So I, when I think of the profile, right, I, it's there's two parts to it. There's like intangible characteristics that you develop over time by doing something, doing something a certain way. And then there's also mindset. And those two things kind of converge uh, to make like an ideal profile. When I think about the intangibles of athletes and vets, I think about like resiliency and perseverance, right? The idea that you lose games, you get cut, you get cut from teams, you come back from injuries. Um, in the case of, of military, you guys have had guests, guests that talk about like embrace the suck, right? Like this is what they're used to. That's a muscle that you have to work on. Most people, you know, don't have that. I think that's a big piece. I think about competitiveness. Um, we talk a lot about everybody loves to win, but there's certain people, and I'm sure you guys, I know you guys are two of them. You hate to lose. Like you do yeah. anything. It's like fear of failure, right? Like that's, that's ingrained in athletes and vets. Um, you know, the other thing is coachability, right? This idea that most people, when they get constructive criticism, take it personally, it impacts their confidence and they kind of want to quit. Right. I, I grew up with a hockey coach as a dad. So I always tell people like I've never really heard anything but constructive criticism since I was born. But I like that's a muscle and I'm, I'm used to that. I, I actually like I, I live off of uh, feedback. Um, there's also like a sense of like I don't want to call it like anti entitlement, but like yeah. it's like work. It's like work ethic. Right. Like yeah. nobody as an athlete, you don't wake up and think you deserve something. Um, you, you know, you have to earn it. Like, you know, you have to do the things to, to get that reward. Um, and it's, and it's delayed gratification, right? Like, you know, you spend the summer shooting pucks so that you can make the team in six months. Um, that like that work ethic for a delayed gratification is, a, is also a muscle you need to work at. And then I think the last piece across the board is like a growth mindset. The idea that you're going to be bad at stuff. You're going to be bad at a lot of stuff when you first start something, um, most people are just like, Hey, I'm not good at this. So it is what it is. Right. As athletes, we spend our entire lives and vets like turning our weaknesses into strengths to make us better athletes and better soldiers. Um, so I think like when I think of intangibles that those are kind of the things that, and, and, and the idea of like being process driven, you know, uh, and disciplined, like those are the kind of intangible characteristics. Yeah. I, when I transitioned, I wasn't a great athlete. I was fortunate enough to play you know, college football. But when I, I thought my first sales job, I actually thought it was so simple because I was looking around at everybody else. And like, I was looking for what's the playbook. And and I would work for Xerox. So I was lucky they, you know, they had a playbook. And for me, it was about, and this is what happened in, in sports for me. I would go look at who's playing, who's starting, who's all world or whatever. And I would analyze the fundamentals. So it, it, for me, it was all about what are the fundamentals 
And how do you master those fundamentals? And if you do that, you're going to be really, really successful. And so I, I've had that same success with hiring athletes. So that that's the pros about hiring um, an athlete. What are the cons about, and not about hiring or not hiring, but what are some of the things that the athletes have to look out for when they transition? Because I found some, there's some unique ones there. So like, you know, when I, when I got into tech sales cap, um, and I'm sure you guys can appreciate, it wasn't really cool. Like 2007, 2008, I had a lot of, I went to Holy Cross, a lot of legacy kids, doctors, lawyers, Wall Street, right? And I was like, oh, JR is going to do sales, of course, and he's going to go sell tech. And it wasn't cool. Now it's kind of cool, right? Everybody talks yeah. about it. And, and what you hear a lot about is autonomy and flexibility, right? And, and athletes, a- athletes actually don't strive in those types of environment where it's like, like I, I had structure every single day, every yes. single week. It was like yes. practice here, gym here, video session here. So like one of the things to keep an eye on with, with, and same thing with vets, by the way, right? Like super, super structured environments. So like, if you're hiring those types of people, you need to think about that. Like you look for a playbook, that's what they're looking for. They want to know what good looks like. So I think there can be a con when like, you're really selling the idea of autonomy. They don't want that. Like you got to give them structure and operational excellence and what it looks like. That's probably the biggest con I think. I think that's a really, really good one. And so for people that are listening, if you're hiring athletes or if you are an athlete and you're transitioning, those are those are red flags when those things aren't in place, when there's an individualistic kind of culture or what have you. Um, that can be a problem too. Let's let's move over to the military, um, JR. One of the things that that we've seen, all the wonderful attributes of military disposition. We found one that became a challenge called what we called commander's intent. And um, have you have have you uh, run into that at all? The pros and cons of commander's intent. That's like that's like their you know their their letter of the law. Like this is what I'm supposed to go do, and no matter what, I'm going to go do it. And there's you kind of take out that creativity a little bit. Yeah. So, so exactly. So sometimes what, what, what we've gotten in, in our experience with military folks is that you tell them what to do and they will go execute it in, in an incredible way. And this is not a knock. Like we ever, we need people like that. And then there's certain times when you need commander's intent and, and not everybody that comes from the military has a good ability to operate in commander. Commander's intent is like, in force management, we talk about because the guy that runs our operations is a is a, a military guy, and he he likens the example to like go build a fence, and you know without understanding the commander's intent, you get somebody that will go put in a post and come back and check and say, okay, now what's the next thing you want me to do? And they'll go and they go do now what's the next thing you want me to do versus the person that understand commander's intent. And I think you can help people with that when they're transitioning. You can ask them questions. Give me some examples of where you had to follow the letter of the law and where you thrived in that example. And then where you had to utilize commander's intent and then your own creativity to reach the commander's intent. Those are really, really good ones out there for hiring managers to think about and for people that are transitioning. Have you seen that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I think it's funny, like, 
it's kind of like sports. Like we see differences between football players and hockey players and, yeah. and basketball and golf. You also see differences in in the service branches, right? Like when we work with special forces like Green Berets or SOF guys, SEALs and Rangers, they th- there's like a, a, a belief of like extreme ownership, right? Where, you know, they they can they understand that commander's intent, but then you work with a Marine, right? And it's like, this is what I'm going to go do. So like paying attention to those nuances in terms of where the person is coming from on a background right. can help you manage that difference, I think. Great. Is there anything that we haven't talked about from um, characteristics uh, favorable? When I mention these characteristics, by the way, I don't want to give our audience any, you know, there's no negativity around any of these things. We all have areas of opportunity. And I think the greatest leaders that hire people understand where people thrive and where people are going to struggle. And that's how you get the most out of people. And it's a safe environment. Like, you know, we're not all perfect. You know, I certainly wasn't a perfect athlete. I knew what I was good at and it was clear what I wasn't good at. And my coach tried to put me in situations that I was good at. And so the team benefited. I benefited. Is there any other characteristics while we're talking about the candidate? Johnny's going to transition us to kind of, you know, the hiring manager and the company perspective and from a company perspective, but anything else on candidates that would be important for us to know? Yeah. I I'd like to talk about like the mindset of an athlete because that's, that's important too, because so I think about like my own journey, right? I, I I was single-minded on my goal of playing division one hockey. That was the goal I wanted to pursue. The first thing that I had to do to, to, to pursue that goal was understand like, okay, what are the skills habits and processes that the people that have accomplished this have, have like gotten excellent at. And then I, I needed to like have a passion to be excellent at those things. Right. But like, a, a dr- like wanting a goal and not having a plan is like, it's a dream. Right. So yeah, it's not just having like, Hey, I want to be great at those things. It's how are you going to be great at those things? And athletes and vets spend most of their time practicing and not just practicing, but practicing with intention, right? So I think an environment where an athlete can very much, or a vet can very much understand like, hey, these are the skills, these are the habits, these are the processes, and then this is how we're gonna practice those things. I, not to like beat the hockey analogy to death, but in, a, in an average NHL game, 60 minute game, the superstar, the superstar, like Connor McDavid, Sidney Crosby, holds the puck for 45 seconds. That's it. Total. Right? So that's like sales. How often are we actually sitting in front of our client and doing what we learned, doing the discovery, doing the qualification, understanding the decision criteria, helping them identify the pain you're trying to solve. So you've got to put like four four to five times more practice in than when you're actually executing that skill, that habit, and that process. And I think what we try to do with athletes and vets is help them understand that. Um, and and I think the organizations we work with also have to do that, right? So and I, that's maybe a good transition into the hiring side. But that mindset of like, I'm going to pursue a goal. I'm going to get really passionate about being excellent at what it's going to take to be there. And then I'm going to do whatever it takes to get really good at those things. That's That's an athlete and vet mindset that – Tease them up to be elite in every anything, sales, accounting, teaching, it doesn't matter. And you have something that you call, I just, I'm looking down at my notes here. You call it the three P's 
as it relates to this mindset? What what do you what are those? Passion for excellence, practicing with intention, and pursuing goals. Like using that practice to pursue goals. Super super simple for for anyone to 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 understand. Love it. So Jr., let's talk a little bit about the hiring companies, and just like we did a profile of the characteristics of the the athletes and the military leaders. Let's talk a little bit about the characteristics of the good hiring companies that you've seen out there. So I like to think, you know, most sales leaders are out there. They want to hire what they, what people call a players. Right. And, and I think, you know, I like to think that our candidates are a players, but to define that it's like they're hungry to learn and do more. Um, they're, they're self-starters with like a no victim mentality um, and they never quit and they learn from their mistakes. So like as a hiring company, there's a few things that you need to think about is, is number one is like, you need to, you do need to sell the opportunity and the potential outcome, right? Like you can make a lot of money. We're going to get bought. We're going to go public. Like that, that's obviously important. But I think the other thing is you have to really have a culture of excellence. Like you have to show that you care that people are getting really good at these things. You have to have a culture of growth and development. Like there, you have to build training and development into your culture. And I think like clearly defined goals, right? Like, so get rid of some of that autonomy. Uh, people think culture nowadays is funny hat Fridays on Zoom, right? Or happy hour. I'm a believer as a sales leader and as somebody who's been on great teams, that culture is what people do when nobody's looking, right? And I think in order to do, in order to create a culture where people do the right things, You've got to have that 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 type of structure where they can practice and they're rewarded for practice and they clearly understand what they're playing for. So that's kind of what I when we look at companies, that's what we're looking for is leadership that understands that where where development is super important and people are being made experts in the process of achieving a great goal like an IPO or or a, a great exit. Yeah, because you talked about candidates being in a single mindset and wanting to constantly prep and train and be developed and have goals and for themselves. And if they go to a company that doesn't have those types of things, they're going to probably go sideways or say, you know, well, how did I get myself into this? The second part could be that the company does it, but you give them to a leader that doesn't believe in those types of things. And you have a, you have a different problem also. Have you, have you seen some of that? Yeah. Yeah. You see, you see the leaders that, you know, they don't pick up the pucks at the end of practice, right? They, they tell people what to do. Right. And they're, they're more, I wouldn't even call them leaders. They're managers, right. Which are different than leaders. Um, that also goes to the nuances you talked about with the different athletes, you know, whether they were football players, hockey players, basketball players, and then also the different military regions. So you have to be a leader that understands, you know, who do I have in front of me and the nuances and try to be intimate with that person so you can understand where they need to grow and where they already are strong, right? So it's so important that the hiring leader really understands the type of, in this case, you know, athlete that they really are getting. Yep, yep. So have you spoken to some companies where you realize, hey, this is never going to work for the types of people that I'm putting into this company. Absolutely. Like, like, like we've walked away from, from the opportunity to make revenue. If we, if we feel like, like that growth and development is, is the most important aspect, right? Not, not just 
talking about it, but give us an example of how someone can come in here that spends a few weeks with us, but but is just kind of getting a foundation to become a professional salesperson. How are you going to take that next step? How are you going to make them a professional salesperson, right? And it, and it really comes down to a culture of of development and training and practice. So if, if we if we don't hear what we want to hear, we we will walk away because we're both going to fail. Our candidate's going to fail and not make it a full ninety to one hundred and eighty days, and the company's going to fail because they're going to have to deal with attrition, which is the most expensive part of, of running a sales organization. So that yeah, but you could also fail in another way because the group that you're talking about they're typically pretty tightly connected and networked. So whether they're ex-military or ex-athletes, you know, they, they have a way of networking. And then, you know, if, if they're getting put into the wrong spots, that can come back and hurt you also. Yeah. And, and listen, I, I don't want to pretend this isn't hard for sales leaders to do. It's hard to say, hey, this is a, this is a culture where we, where we breed excellence. We really care that you focus on getting better every single day. And that's what we're going to do. But that like, it's also hard to hire people for the wrong reasons who care about working remote and like, you know, unlimited vacation. Right. So it's like, it's kind of like the old saying, like, choose your heart. Yes. It's going to be hard to recruit these type of people, or you can, you know, focus on these other things that some people care about, but those aren't going to be the right people for your sales organization. Well, JR, in this current environment, I'm really curious, do most of these athletes and military, ex-military people want to work remote or do they want to be in an office where they can be mentored by others? It, it's one of the first qualifying questions we ask, John, like, like where, where are you willing to work? Where are you willing to move? And like, we're unique because it's not just, we don't just get fresh candidates right out of school that are in their early 20s, don't have mortgages and families. Sometimes we deal with career transitioners. They they taught for a few years. They're former athletes or vets that taught and they want to get this. Those are different situations. If I talk to a 23-year-old kid with no mortgage, like no like uh, long-term relationship, like no children, and they're like, yeah, I'm, I only want to live in central Ohio and I only want a remote job, that's a great indicator for us. Like, all right, do they really want it that bad? Right. Yeah, that's an intelligence question right there. Being from Michigan, <laughs> I got, I got to tell you, that'd be an intelligence knockout right there. Yeah, hey, exactly. I'm dying to ask this question to both of you. It always amazes me, and I don't want to be critical, but this just is so important that, like, when I work with companies, and I remember someone, somebody doing this to me when when I was in corporate America, you know, making me stand up on the spot and answering the question. Why would somebody want to work for this company? Go. And having to be audible ready at any point in time to be able to say that. Why would somebody want to work for this company? So for our listeners, if you are looking at a company, I want you to be prepared to ask somebody this question. If you are leading a company, I want you to be prepared to answer that question. And the other big question is, why would somebody want to work for you? Why would somebody want to work for you? And I just think that uh, we get woefully prepared to do that. I've I've heard very few times have I heard people be able to stand up on a dime and be able to say, let me tell you why this is a place for you. And let me tell you why I'm the coach or leader for you. And I think it's I just mean, a really, so really important. good exercise. So important. You know, in the companies I've been in, I can't tell you how many times people 
don't know how to sell the opportunity. They look at the interview as like, I'm interviewing this candidate. Yeah. If they want the job and I like them, then I'll hire them. But they never look at it as like the candidates also interviewing me as the leader and the person they're going to work for. And I have to be able to sell the opportunity and also not only the opportunity of working at this company, why this company over all the other things that they're looking at. So yeah. important. So many people can't sell the opportunity or why they should work for the leader. This leader and, can't sell themselves. And we got to remember with this with this profile, certainly some of the people in the advanced military group that you're doing, JR, they've been recruited to different branches of military. Athletes have been recruited. And I'm not saying that you have to, you know, you know, woo people or what have you, but they are used to looking at BS. They're used to looking at a program that says, come here. It's all about grades. It's all about whatever. And they look around with the people that took them around on their visit. And they're like, that's not what's here. <laughs> and so, so I think with this profile of candidates that you're working with, JR, um, you better be able to stand up in front of them and say, why is this a great place for you? And why am I a great leader for you? And I just think, JR, would you would you agree? Like, it, w what are you seeing out there when you're talking to you're probably asking that question to the to those companies? Yeah, I, I think so. On one side, some companies have gotten really good at selling the opportunity, meaning like, hey, this is the size of the market we're going after. This is the IP that we have yeah. that makes us unique, the ROI, the time to value. This is who we sell to. This is our ASP. And this is what, why we're going to beat the competition. That should be second nature. That's pretty easy. But when you look at like, and, and anyone who likes sports or hates sports analogy is going to hate this episode, but I'm going to do it anyway. When you, <laughs> Go when you for it, JR. Like, Go for it, buddy. <laughs> I think of like Bill Belichick, Bear Bryant, Vince Lombardi, Pat Summit, um, and Nick Saban. All, all six of those coaches took over programs that were garbage, like complete garbage. But then they won pretty quickly when they took over those programs. So they didn't have that like TAM, you know, that stuff to sell. Like they were selling like, hey, you're going to come in here and you're going to be 10 times better in a year because of it. And that's like and that's the type of people they got was like, yeah, I want to be part of that. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, the Patriots, I, I grew up a Boston fan my entire life going to Foxborough Stadium. It was miserable until I was 17 years old. Miserable. But Bill Belichick built a great program because of, hey, this is this is the way we're going to make you better every single day. And I, all those coaches have examples like that. So you can sell the opportunity. You also got to recruit based off of the, the, the development culture. And the people that get excited about that, those are the people that you want to go hire, in my opinion. Love that. Hey, Johnny, I'm going to transition into we've got to give JR the ability to talk about the shift group because it's such a unique model. Anything else on companies, Johnny, before I jump to that? I think we did a good job. JR, awesome. anything else on the hiring companies you want to you want to discuss? No, I, I think we covered everything. And, and and I just think like that that focus on practice starts from the top down. Right. And I'm not not just your direct manager that's going to be ingrained in the CEO. Like I, I was fortunate to work at a great company, Turbonomic, and our CEO, when I first started there, when we were small, you had to do the demo for our CEO before you were allowed to get on the phone with customers, awesome. right? Like we were light on SEs and, and we were doing a million demos, but that that's the type of culture where I'm like, 
they told me that during my interview process. And I was like, what's the record? I'm going to beat it. Right. Like that was my, that was my mindset. And I did just for the record. I still have it. <laughs> hey, JR, you want to hear one? I'm going to give McMahon a compliment. So McMahon hires us uh, back in the day when we started force management. Um, most people know that myself and Grant Wilson worked for Johnny back in the day and <clears throat> at PTC and, and so then he brings us into this company called Blade Logic. And just to hit in on this, this is a very serious comment I'm going to make here. Um, the last day is about practicing what we learned. And it's intense. It's like, what problems do you solve? How specifically do you solve them? How do you solve them better than any, you know, how do you solve them differently than anybody else? And where have you done it before? And I'm going to tell you one of my favorite examples is it's demo day. It's the last day. And you're going to do it, you know, in groups of people. So McMahon comes to me and I'm running the session. He comes to me and he goes, hey, um, I'm going to do a role play. And I'm like, that's awesome. And I didn't ask him to do a role play. And he's leading the company. I didn't ask him to do a role play. And then he said, um, why don't we, can we carve out, can can everybody watch me do it? And, and I bet you there's people listening right now from that day. It's one of the single greatest leadership moments that I saw because Johnny had just learned. It's not that the content was foreign to Johnny, but it was a new kind of way of formalizing the content, really specific around differentiation, really specific around matching proof points or what have you. He went first in front of the entire company and it set the tone for an unbelievable culture at, at Blade Logic. It just came to my mind, Johnny. I, I'm not sure I ever told you that, but I was really, well, really impressed you. by that. You gotta go, if you're the leader and you're expecting everybody else to do it, why don't you go first? It's unbelievable. We do these trainings today, Johnny, yeah. and our guys come back and say, yeah, the, you know, the managers, they don't want to do a role. They'd rather watch their people. They don't want to do a role play. And no, um, so if you're and... listening out there, if you're listening you're out there. you're going to make some mistakes and it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. Because yeah, everybody's just as scared to do it too, but you got to show that you're okay with doing it because you're asking everybody else to do it. You should do it first. The men and women of 101st Airborne JR, they're the they jump out of you know airplanes and you know they have a saying that they said courage is defined as being afraid to go but going anyways. That's the difference. They just jump anyways. I love yeah. it. I love. All right, now let me talk about this incredible model, dude. When you called me when you were starting Shift Group, you called me and you explained to me this model. I was totally digging the profile. I could relate to the profile, but then you explained to me the development model and actually what you're doing. And I want to give you the time on this podcast to really talk about talk about what you do, how you do it, and how you're producing such high quality placeable candidates. So I think of it like a like a training camp, right? Like a boot camp, right? So it's it's hey, this is this is the job. We're very very blunt about like the the initial entry level sales job. We all did it. It sucks. It's hard, but this is what you can get to. So we have about a 40 45% attrition rate in our in our first intro course where we're like you're going to make at least 100 dials a day and people quit. And that's good. We love that. Um once we get through that intro course, it's it's the skills, habits, and processes section. This is where they learn how to do account research, how to use that account research to do effective outbounding, so cold emails, cold calls, LinkedIn messages. Then we teach them, you know, with, with the medic framework, this is discovering qualification, like kind of light medic, and they learn how to do that. And then we teach them sales tools. And the last piece is the habits and processes. We, we teach them operational excellence. So the idea of structuring your day, your week, your month 
your quarter in a way that helps you achieve your goals. But we don't just teach it to them, John. I think what's unique about what we do is we test them on it. So they have to take a final test with a third-party person they've never met before. It's our assist. We call them assistant coaches. They've all signed up. We donate $100 to their favorite charity, and they grill the guys and girls. They come in. They present their account research. They present their cold emails. They do mock cold calls. They do mock discovery calls. And we grade them on it. And we show them what the grades are compared to all their peers. So you don't like your, your score? Do it again, right? So we're incentivizing practice and competition during our training. Um, and then we you've seen the profile. We create a profile with that with that practice. And that's so companies get a, a really good insight to kind of who they're who they're interviewing before they ever. So talk you to. go, you guys actually do all that. So I sent a candidate to you. We'll, we'll keep his name out of it. But I sent a, a friend of mine's uh, future son-in-law to you, a great basketball player. And I interviewed him the first time. I said, okay, this would be a great guy for to get into JR's program. And I want you to talk a little bit more specifically about like kind of how do they get in or what have you. So he gets into the program. And then like two, three weeks later, you actually sent me a link to his presenting all of this information. And I thought, oh my Lord, that's just three weeks ago I spoke to this person and this person's ready to go. So I was incredibly impressed. So how do they get to you? Like candidates come to you, or is that true or not true? Companies come to you. What's the model look like? Yeah, so so we partner actually with athletic organizations. We get a lot of like organic referrals cap, like like uh, your your buddy's son-in-law. But mainly what where we're getting people from is athletic departments, yeah. um, players associations, um, and, you know, even – even di direct from coaches and agents, like we have agents sending us people, um, but they come in and everybody has to go through the boot camp. We don't care. Like we've had 13 year NHL uh, vets that have gone through the same program as a walk on at a D3 football program. We don't care how, how fast you run or how, how hard you throw. You gotta, you gotta earn it again, right? Carry the water bottles again. Um, and then companies have been finding us organically uh, since we started the business about a year ago. Um, but that that's starting to grow a lot too. Hey Jr., so, uh, just quick, what about what about women's sports? Have you picked up any, you know, tennis players, soccer players, you know, uh, especially women's lacrosse because that's like a dead end sport after college, and they're fantastic athletes. You always wonder like what happens to them after, you know, you know, college experience. Yeah, I mean, I think athletes get a. I mean, generally, it's it's not usually sales leaders, but HR people. People, um, they're like, well, athletes are bros, right? Like that's kind of like the the general consensus. And and I remind people, like, hey, by law, fifty percent of college athletes are females by law, Title Nine. So that's our program. Like, and this is obviously a byproduct. I started with helping hockey players before I ever started shift group. So I helped a lot of middle class white kids get into tech sales. Good for me. Good for them. But now when you look at our program, we've got over 50% of these folks that are females and minorities, right? Like basketball and football is 70% minority at the college level. So we're helping these kids from underrepresented backgrounds like mine, where, you know, first generation college grad, my dad still gives me shit because I don't have a pension to go back to. He doesn't <laughs> understand. Like when you sell a company, you don't need a pension anymore. <laughs> so yeah so buddy 
So yeah. buddy, when people are listening to you, I've just, my, my brain is spinning. How can people help you? There's probably people listening that say, I wouldn't mind being an assistant coach for JR. I've got people that, you know, that call me for advice and, you know, how do people get involved with you? First of all, how do we find you? How do we get involved with you? What do you need from the audience? Yeah. So come to our website. If you're a company or, or, a, or an assistant coach candidate, go to our companies tab. You'll, you'll see the registration there. If you're an athlete, then go to our athlete registration tab. If you know an athlete, send them that way. Um, and, you know, like I said, it's, 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 uh, it's all, um, you know, you sign up and, and we're going to engage with you right away. Um, that's the biggest thing that, that we're working on now is, is finding ways to get people involved because everybody reaches out to me and says, we love what you're doing, JR. How can I help? That's how I came up with the assistant coaches program because hundreds of my friends were like, I want to get involved. And we figured out a way where we could do that and, and we get to donate to charity in the process. So um, yeah. that, that's the best way to work with us. And the big bonus is you're uh, you're also using uh, the Ascender platform, which we love you for. That's right. That's right. Any, any candidate we place in a, in a hiring partner, because we lose some kids cap to like outside hiring, which is fine. Yeah. That's where we get 30% of our customers come when they hire an athlete that went through our training, not through us. And they're like, do you have any more people like this? Um, so, but anyone that takes a role in our network, they get a one year subscription to a sender. So they're getting medic certified in their first 60 days as a BDR, which is sick. Dude, it's what a great, what a great model. Is there anything Johnny or JR that we haven't talked about as it relates to the shift group that, that, we could share with the audience. Any question I didn't ask about the shift group that you can think of? Um, I just, I want to comment quickly on the future, right? Like we're focused on B2B tech. That's where I grew up. It's where I spent most of my time. Um, we are considering like from a growth perspective, the opportunity where medical device, financial services, sales, um, really any kind of white collar entry level sales career, B2B, that's kind of the future. That's where we want to take this. We want to be known as the transition platform into sales for athletes and vets across the, across the globe. That's our goal. Love it. Love it. Johnny Mac, anything else on the ship oh, group? Oh, it's awesome, JR. What Everything a cool model. Do. Yeah, it's it makes so much sense. It makes all the sense in the world, especially if it's a really good fit between the candidate and the company and the leader, the hiring leader. That's that's the main point. If those things all align, it's a home run for everyone. Home run. Yeah, I think um, I'm just going to do a couple of just a little recap here, Johnny, and I'll flip it back over to you. But, JR, first of all, <clears throat> congratulations on really hitting a niche. And it's not a niche. I wouldn't call it a niche because it's ginormous, but a big need. Um, out in the marketplace on capitalizing with people with passion and commitment and structure and diligence and, uh, you know, all of the great attributes of your candidate profiles with, and I'm sure you'll move it into other things that are adjacent to that. But right now it's, you know, athletes and former military um, uh, and the success that you've had and what you're doing with these individuals. I just think it's, it's just awesome. I personally have gotten, 
several, um, and you've seen them because I turn them over to you. Uh, could you introduce me to the shift group? So people are out there hearing, and I think that'll come from this podcast as well. Uh, if you're out there and, you know, just reach out to JR, he is producing some unbelievable candidates. And I've spoke to the candidates and the experiences second to none, highly, highly differentiated. Um, but, you know, some other big takeaways. I loved your dad's. Um, I loved it. It stuck with me plant tomatoes you get you get tomatoes you know do like the work do the work you know pick up you, the talks baby yeah do the, the work that was another good takeaway is um you know if, when we move up in the leadership ranks if we forgot what it's like to uh you know to do the work or to pick up the pucks or to sweep the you know sweep the locker room or whatever it is i just thought there was just some great great um some great messages in here i'm a big fan of yours jr i always have been and and I uh, love the partnership that we have you through the Ascender platform. And uh, I think you're not only going to continue to kill it, but uh, there, there's just bigger and better things to come. So I can't thank you enough for being on the podcast today. And, and I appreciate the platform to talk about it, gentlemen. It's It's been awesome. You guys going to hit me with the rapid fire questions? I prepared oh, yeah. for <laughs> Well, we can. But right now, I want to say what I picked up, you know, skill, habit, and process and passion, practice, and pursue. Yeah. I might have to put that in my uh my little trunk on the side here. Qualified Jay. sales leader mother. too. <laughs> Coming up. <laughs> Coming up. Yeah. Why you want the rapid fire questions? We haven't done them in a while. What's your favorite day off of work? It's uh walk walk the dogs, workout, round of golf, coach either youth hockey game or practice, and then uh dinner and movie on a double date with my fiance and a friend. Nice. That's that's, that's it. No 500 air squads, 500 shots. Not anymore. <laughs> Not anymore. No. All right. How about favorite movie? Uh, favorite movie is Miracle. Um, there, and, Ace Ventura, and Ace Ventura. Yeah. How about that time when he again made him skate again, again, oh, yeah. again, again, <laughs> he turned the lights out again, again. That's the, That's the best. And how about his favorite meal? We talked Ribeye. about going out and getting a meal. What what's the favorite meal? We call it we call it a big boy meal, me and my friends. It's it's a you know, 15 years of sales, a lot of steakhouses. I'm, addic I'm addicted to it, man. Give me big appetizer, a ribeye, lobster, and some sides. I'm in, dude. I, I'm addicted What sides? To it. What sides? Uh cream of spinach, mushrooms, and you know, maybe some frites. <laughs> <laughs> Throw it all in there. That's right. That's that's after the appetizers, right? Oh, of course. Yeah. Oysters, yeah. you know, you, you're doing it all. 100%. Yeah. Got to do it all. And JR, do you have a favorite charity you want to talk about? Yeah. I'm on the board of a charity called Line in the Sky Foundation. Um, before I before I joined the Holy Cross hockey team, in 18 months, we lost three guys on the team, two to cancer, one to, to mental illness, suicide. Um, so we've raised hundreds of thousands of dollars since we started the charity Unfortunately, we've lost some more brothers to, to both illnesses, mental health and cancer. Um, so that's what we do. We raise money and then we give it to charities focused on those two things. It's lineinthesky.foundation.org. It's, it's super close to my heart. So Line in the Sky is almost like an aggregation. And then from there, you decide which charities you're going to give it to based upon the lost brothers that you have. Exactly. We have an assistant coach that we all played for, his daughter, was recently uh, diagnosed with leukemia. So we've been raising a ton of money for him and his family. So it's, it's, it's all close to all of our hearts. 
That's fantastic, JR. Thanks again for spending time with John, myself, or Cap and Mac, <laughs> and also with our audience. And thanks again to our audience for listening to another episode of The Revenue Builders. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Be sure to check us out at forcemanagement.com.